Welcome to the Yeshiva Shalmaila. This is David Lichtenstein. This week's program will be about caring for elderly parents. They call them the sandwich generation, people who have both parents to care for, as well as children, and you are stuck in the middle. Like the turkey in the middle of the sandwich. Well, here are some of the issues. What is the halachic view of putting elderly parents in nursing homes? And who comes first? The parents, or the children. How much expense do we have to uh, forego to take care of parents? We will be speaking to Rabbi Shimon Finkelman. He's the author of the Art Scroll book on Kibbutz Aim. We will have Rebetzin Fagi Twersky, who's lectured on this topic, the famous Mechaneches author. She herself uh, has spoken to many people, advised many people about this issue. Here is one line I thought was very interesting when we spoke about who comes first, parents or children. I th- we always say to them there's one principle you think about, and that is, what will you regret the least? When it's all said and done, what will you regret the least? We will have an attorney, Yassi Joe Klein, Talmud of all the great yeshivas. He'll be speaking about wills, etc., from both a halachic and a practical legal point of view should be a really fascinating program. By the riddles, we will we will list all the grand prize winners from Sukkis as well as the runner-ups. Quite a list. Maybe your name is on it. Before we go to the shir, today's shir, I would like to say a vart on the parsha. Noyach. Noyach is one of the most fascinating people in Tanakh. He's the only person called a tzaddik in the entire Torah. The only one. Additionally, he's the only person who's outright called a tzaddik in all of Torah, Nevi'im, and Ksuvim. In fact, he's called twi- twice tzaddik, Noyachish tzaddik and Ki'oischarishi tzaddik. And what did he do? For 120 years, he built the Teva. And we talk about that. 120 years, he talks about how he planted the right type of wood, and how he sawed the beams, and how he made the Teva, and how many people did Noyach influence? Nobody. Not one. Have you ever had a Rebbe who influenced nobody? It's really astonishing. I want to share with you a thought, a very current, relevant thought. So I get calls from um, Jungleite. They said, you know, we're going for smicha. And I, I feel like I, I really can't be a Rav or a, a Mairid Asra, a rabbi. Why? Because, you know, I live in this world and I've done, you know, I've seen, I've done things that I don't think a rabbi should necessarily have seen or have done. And I feel like an imposter. I feel like if my tzibur knew who I really was, they would be shocked. There's a name for it. It's called imposter syndrome. Yeah, this is how it's described. A psychological pattern in which an individual doubts their skills, their talents, their accomplishments, and has a persistent internalized fear of being a fraud. Imposter syndrome. They're thinking, wow, it's such a rare thing. Well, I'll, I will put to you that the Avi Hanavim, no, no smaller than Moshe Rabbeinu, you see, for seven days, Rabbeinu Shalom Kaviachal tries to get him to Take the, you know, to be his representative to go to Paray. The Atzal Lecha Veshalchacha El Paray, the Hoytse Yes Ami Bene Yisrael Mimitzrayim. What does Moshe come back? Mia Neri Gelech El Paray. And Rabbanishom answers him, again, another 15 psukim, Eya Imach, I'll be with you, etc. What does Moshe respond again? Vehein Loyaminuli. I don't know. I'm not up to it. Then again, Rabbanishom tries again. And Moshe comes back again. Loyish Dvaram Anechi. 
I can't do it. I'm not up to it. I'm not Roy. I'm not Ultimately, Rabbi Shalom gets mad and he sends Aaron to do it. But Moshe struggled with this. Now, what is the is imposter syndrome? I mean, is being an imposter is it really something to worry about? We'll think of this. You know, what does what do the Achrayim say? The the Chazir and the Gamal, Rabbi Shalom despises them. He says, you know, the Chazir is Poirish Tlafa for Omer Toirani. I'm an imposter. He's, he he really is an imposter. He says, Tyranny. Bernishom cannot stand the fraud, a faker. The Gummel, the uh, the Eilis of Rhyme says, he, he hides his hoofs in the ground. He can't see the split. And he proudly lifts up his throat, chewing the cud to say that he's a tire because he chews his cud. The tire certainly doesn't like frauds, right? Moshe was just not a good example because he was really a tzaddik. But look at Nayach. Nayach, what do we know about Nayach? 120 years he builds the Teva. But what does Rashi say? Rashi says the, the water, he entered the Teva only when the water drove him in. Rashi says, why? He was a Maimon, the Ene Maimon. He wasn't sure. His Amuna was flawed. Right? Interesting. Nayak, the great Nayak, his Amuna was flawed. I mean, we see other things. He comes out of the Teva, he becomes, he becomes a shikker, he becomes drunk, he is a substance abuser. Nayak, I put to you, he 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 was a maimon ve'ene maimon. He did not feel like he could influence. He he suffered from imposter syndrome. He didn't have a single Talmud in a hundred and twenty years. What's our response though to, to to imposter syndrome? What's the Jewish response? Well, for starters, the Torah amazingly calls him tzaddik, oischarisi tzaddik. Well. If there was an imposter syndrome, if he felt if he was a maimon vein a maimon, why is he called tzaddik? He really was an imposter on some level. So it would seem that there's a alum de shechilik. There's a difference between an imposter, a chazer, a gamal, and somebody who has imposter syndrome. What does that mean? Imposter syndrome means I struggle. He was he struggled with amuna, right? A lot of people do. That's not an imposter. That somebody is saying, look, I'm doing the best I can, but I'm human. The Kotzka famously touched, he said, Anshe Kodesh Tiuli. So the Kotzka asked the following question. He says, there are so many Milos Hanar Dafais for men. You have Adam, you have Enosh, you have Gever, Basar Vedam, you could call him an Ish, a Yulud Isha, etc. The, the one that's the lowest on the totem pole is Enosh. An ish, Yaakov Ishtam, he, he was a master of his Tamimas. You say somebody's an Ish Kadosh. What does an Enosh mean? Enosh means human. Like when you say something's a Machla Enoshi, uh, you know, a fatal illness, you say it's just, it's, it's going to rob him of life. It's just the basic use, human function. So the Kotsky asks, why is it called Anshe Kadosh Tiuli? It should be Ish Kadosh. Right, it should be Adam Kodesh Tiuli. It should be one of the other in Shemais. Adam is Adam El Why Enosh? So the Kotzke famous, he says, he says, the Rabbi Shalom didn't want holy Malachim. He wanted holy humans. 
He wanted the human with his flaws, with his sins, with his doubts, with his emotional issues, with his struggles, with his mental health issues. That's who he wants. Anshay Kaidish, the lowest form of the human. He didn't want Malachim. He would have brought down Malachim. Anshay Kaidish Tili. And Noyach is called Tzadik. I put to you the only one. The Torah is trying to tell us that. Noyach, with his Shikras, with his Maimon, Veni Maimon, he was a Tzadik. Why? There's something called Derech Tzadikim and Derech Rishoyim. First capital and tell him, what's a Derech Tzadikim and a Derech Rishoyim? Derech Tzadikim means you're on the path of Tzadikim. There's potholes, there's wrong turns, there's lots of uphills, it's not going to be easy, but you're on the derech tzaddikim, the pathway, the highway of tzaddikim. And there's something, as we shown Fakert, somebody's on the derech reshaim, doesn't mean he's not going to do something good now and then, but he's on the derech reshaim. Imposters, the Rabbi Shalom can't be civil. Imposter syndrome, you're not good enough. You know what? You're human. Anshe Kaidish. Look at ultimately. Where will Geula come from? The Mashiach. Light and his daughters is the first time we see it. What does it say? Hechi Matsasi David Avdi. We're talking about David ben Yishai, David Malka Mashiach. Beloit. Light and Besedaim. Yehuda and Tamar. Bayaz and Rus. Ultimately, Shlaima comes from David and Bathsheba. Bathsheba, who he married, Uriachiti, who, who David had put to death. The entire pathway, it's littered with error, with struggles, with doubt, with said Misha Amr David Chata and the Elatayis. I don't want to say, but certainly with curves in the road, right? But that's the Derech Tzadikim. I said over before once, beautiful Tyra. It says by the Kain Gadol when he's Nechnas Lofnay Lofnim, the one day a year, V'chal Adam Layiya B'Voy L'Chaper B'Kaidish. There was no Mimchal Adam Layyah. So the Medrash, and Mepharshim asked, V'chal Adam Layyah, he was an Adam. What do you mean, V'chal Adam Layyah? So the Medrash says, you know what? When he went into the Kaidish HaKadashim one day a year, he wasn't an Adam anymore. He was a Malach. He wasn't. So here's the problem. There's a Rekeach. The Rekeach asks the question. He says, Kain Gadol's Asa Balmana. He's a Bishlama, a Grusha, he's Asa. We understand. Why? Because, you know, it takes two to tangle. We wanted somebody who never, you know, was a Balmachlaikis, etc. But he says, a, uh, an Almana, what is she shouldering? Her husband got hit by a car, or he died of cancer, whatever. Why is a Kain Gadol also Balmana? So the Rekeach says, when the Kain Gadol goes in once a year to the Kaidish Kadashim, and he says the shame Hamafirish, at that time, he's so powerful, he can accomplish anything, anything he wants. What happens if he saw a beautiful woman, and she's married, and he says, you know, if the husband's dead, guess what? I'm the kind Gadol. Nobody's going to say no to my offer for a Shaddach. So when he's going to go into the Kaidish HaKadashim, he's going to be thinking about this beautiful woman and say, let her husband die. When he got his Hashem of Irish, kill him, marry her. So he said, you know what? Kain Gadol Asabal Mana. So here's the problem with the Rekeach. You're saying that while when he goes inside, he's going to be thinking about a beautiful woman. At the same time, we're saying, the Chal Adam Layyeh Bevoya LaKadosh, why? I, he was an Adam. Medrash says he wasn't an Adam. He was a Malach then. He was a Malach? And he's thinking about that woman? Like, how could that be? And the answer is, because he's human. That's what he, and that's what human beings are. So, 
From Noyach we learn, we don't measure tzaddikim by perfection. We measure them, are you on the derech tzaddikim? And you know, there's a, a chinuch in, uh, on mitzvah tafchaf alev, when he talks about tfilin, tfilin trichim gufnaki, he talks about there are people who are machmir, and they don't let others put on tfilin because they say, you know, they're, they're not ready for it. And his lashon is hamachmirim bekedushas hamitzvah, umeinin leiv hamoin, ulei kavanasim latayva. He caught, but it's a rabara. He says, everybody, there's, not such a, there's, no tzad, there's no perfect tzaddik, and yet we don't stop them from doing mitzvahs. He says, because maybe when we do the mitzvah, at that point, that'll take you higher, higher, higher. Maybe it'll take you away from those averis. So he says, no matter where you are, you can always do a mitzvah. And you know what? If right now you have a gufnaki, that's good enough. While you can, you do it. Who knows where it'll take you? Don't look back at don't look back at those darknesses. Don't look back at those moments when you say, I'm an imposter, I didn't do something right, and therefore I can't. And you know, it reminds me of the Vart I once heard from Rafatna, he said on the Gemarba of Basra, it says when they built the Beis Hamikdash. They built it with green and white marble, and different shades of green. It looked like the waves of the sea. So it says the Hachamim wanted to cover it with gold. They wanted to do an upgrade, and then they said, "No, it's better that we should have the waves." And Rav Hutnatayish, he said, they knew that the Beis Hamikdash was going to be Nechrav. So there were those who would say, "Why are we coming? Like why why serve here when we know the tragedies around the corner?" They said, you know why? Every wave, it roars. It comes a mighty wave. Doesn't the wave know in 30 seconds, 15 seconds, a minute, it's going to crash down? That's what waves do. But while it roars, it roars like a lion. So he said the base Hamigdash was green and white marble, Kudisa the Yama, right? Like the waves of the sea. Why? While it's here, serve. And I think that there's a lesson, both for our lives, while we're here, roar like a wave, but it's also for imposter syndrome. Will we do Averis? Everybody does. Everybody will. Right now, you want to do a mitzvah? Right now, it's rochash libi dava toiv? You roar like a lion. Yes, you will come down like that wave. Without a doubt. What does the Gemara say? While you can, when you're up, roar like a wave. So those who have imposter syndrome, the yeshiva bachu, the avdeh the rav who's thinking about this, the kal guy, you know, you know what the Torah tells us? Noyach ish tzadik. Maimen ve'ene maimen. But he was a tzadik. He was derech tzadikim. With all his doubt, he just kept put his head down and he built and he built and he built for 120 years. Despite all the litzanas and the setbacks, what does it tell us? Put your head down. Plow forward. No doubt there's something behind you. There is a dark. There are waves that have crashed. Right now, you have the gumption. Right now, you have the energy. Roar like a wave. Kudisa the Yama. So the lesson of Noyach, the Noyach Ish Tzadik, is so relevant. And you know, even though it says, Ein Kairil La'avais, Ela Shloisha, but yet, in the davening of Rosh Hashanah, what do we say? Vigam Noyach B'yahava Zacharta. When we bring in Noyach, there's something that we could learn from Noyach. No, he's not one of the Avais, but this real human lesson, Noyach ish tzadik, 
Let's learn this from Nayach. And now for the riddle of the week. We're going to announce the grand prize winners from Sukkis. Gedalia Wiesner, Shirley Modis, Mayor Kras, Yishai Carmel, Yosef Posey, Avram Goldberger, Shlemi Berlin, Shmuel Wurzberger, Shmili Silberman, Usher Brenner, Avram Epstein, Elio Frankel, Simcha Rosenblatt, and Yisrael Floor. Those are the grand prize winners. I do want to note that we awarded all these, even though I believe that the turrets on the rush, I don't believe anybody got the correct turrets. Um, you know, why, according to the rush, what's his raya from the, uh, from Sukkah, from, uh, but I didn't have an answer on that red leader. So whoever gave an answer, even though that answer we disagreed with, we said, okay, we're just going to make them winners. I don't know if there is an answer to that riddle. And here are the runner-ups. Uh, these are for the $50. The first off for $250. Baruch Krasner, uh, Yosef Saltzman, Avram Friedman, Chaim Shol, Hechel, Baruch Davis, David Zemel, Kalman Goldberg, Moshe Chaim Newman, Yossi Bistritzer, and Yossi Greener. So we had a lot of winners. We must have had a uh, 100 answers. We and we do have a here close to, I mean, over 20 winners, but we did have 100 answers. Many wonderful call-ins, but these were the actual winners. Here's the riddle of the week. We are going to ask a strong kasha on the briskerov. So all the uh, all the yeshiva light here should definitely take out your pens. What does it say? So what is Rashi? was He didn't want to. He says, you know, the world's coming to an end. So he says, Noyach would not have had more children. Right? Because he said, the marble happened, it'll happen again. That's it. I'm not bringing children into the world to die. That's what, so it's mashma. Without that haftacha, he wouldn't have had children. And he would have been right. Here's the problem. There's a famous brisker of Alotaira that says by Rivka, by Yisraeli to Abandon Bakir, he says that the Gemara Bracha says, that Chizkiyo HaMelech did not want to have children. Why? Because he saw that they would be Rishayim. The Yishayo Anavi came to him, and he said, you're wrong for not having children. Chizkiyo got sick, he was close to dying. He said, are you worried that, you're not gonna, that they're not going to be, that they're going to be Rishayim? What's it your business? Why are you looking, making Cheshbainis for the Rabbi Shalom? So the Briskorov said, therefore, he said he had no right to, he had a mitzvah. When it comes to, you have a mitzvah, you do the mitzvah, you don't worry about what the outcome is. Rivka, on the other hand, he said, she did wasn't mitzvah al puruvu. So she said, imkein lama Without the Briskorov, we would learn different shot in the Gemara Brachas, which is how the Chafetz Chaim learned, the partner of Yishorov said out from him in this way, that what? That Chizkia, the Taina in him, was not that you just have to follow blindly, which is how the Briskorov saying, don't ask questions, just follow. The Chafetz Chaim says, why are you making the Rabbani Shalom You may be wrong. Maybe his children will not be Rishayim, which ultimately, Chavetz Chaim says, you see, they did tshuva. So you were wrong. So stop making God's cheshbonus when you could be very, very well be wrong. But if you're correct, Chavetz Chaim does not have a problem, doesn't see from the Gemara, that you have to follow a mitzvah when you have uh, an absolute reason not to do it. Why have Piri Verivya if they're going to die? Question is, according to the Briskrov's Yisoyed, that a person is not allowed to, never allowed to have cheshbonus, how could in our parsha? Noyach say that what? I don't want to have children because they're going to die again in the marble. And Rabbanu Shalom has to be maftiachim. No, they will live. 
Bukhaira, it seems that Rabbi Shimon was masking to Nayak's Cheshbin, but he said, you don't have to worry about it. I'm going to be give you the a, a symbol, the rainbow, the keshes that they will live. That will not do a marble again. But otherwise, Nayach was correct. So you see, Lachayra, a person is allowed to make cheshbonus when he's when it comes to Purivuvia. When he says they're not going to be tzaddikim, or in this case, they're going to die, not to have the children. So it's a kasha on the briskarav, and it's a raya to learn the gemara in brachis, not like the briskarav. Why is this such an important question? Besides. You know, it's Kishmakishila. But because I know that in Brisk they use this Yasaid of Hadi Kafshid Rahman Alamali never to make Heshbainis in many other areas of Hashkafa of life. So uh, it's not just some random vart from the Briskarov, but it's actually quite a Yasidistic vart that is really one of the underpinnings of the Hashkafa in the Yeshiva Brisk. So I think it's really a very wonderful riddle. And of course we will announce the winners again of this uh who get this right next week. To leave a message, call 732-806-8700 and press number 2 or email at info at headlinesbook.com. Let's go to our guests. Joining us from far Rockaway is Rabbi Shimon Finkelman. He's a Rebbe in Dark Etaira. He's also the author of a number of art scrolls for him, including one on Kibbutz Aim, which would make him an expert on this topic. Welcome, Rabbi Finkelman. Good evening. How are you? I'm Rabbi Finkelman. Here's a very common question. People have elderly, an elderly parent. And, you know, it's, it's difficult. You know, they, they require this, they require that. What is the halacha's view of putting them in a nursing home? It's a tough question. Actually, Rav Moshe Sternbush, of Yerushalayim, discusses this in one of his shubas. He was asked the question. Um, the, the child who asked the question told Rav Sternbush that having the parent in his home, as opposed to a nursing home, would be a tsar godol ma'oid, a great tsar, because it would severely affect his uh, caring for his children, giving the, the time his children needed. So Rav Sternbuch, responded that you, it's not something you can answer in the tshuva for Klal Yisrael because every case is individual. It has to be on a case-by-case basis. But he did say that it's a, a child should always bear in mind that Kibbut Aim is really a very special mitzvah. Besides that, it's in the Aseris Adibrais, and the Torah specifically uh, gives the Baruch of Arichas Yomim. Besides for that, uh, he gives this, for example, other mitzvahs are say, positive mitzvahs, a person might not be required to do if he's going to suffer ridicule and shame and embarrassment. But Shulchan Aras says clearly that a person is obligated to honor his parents, even if, for whatever reason, they do subject him to ridicule and embarrassment. Again, that, that halakh itself needs discussion because it doesn't mean a child has to suffer abuse from his parents. That's, but, but he's just making the point of this halakha. He also said that Kibbutz Aim is unique in that a child who does do the great mitzvah of taking his parents into his home as opposed to a nursing home can be mechaber then uh, constantly from morning till night and even during the night. And uh, it's a mitzvah that's continuous. It's, really, it's, it's all day, it's all night. 
So it's, it's to, to place the child, the parent in the nursing home is um, is giving up that opportunity. But again, he says he's not giving up sack for the for Claudia so because it has to be done on an individual basis. Rabbi Finkelman, you mentioned a, a number of very important issues. One is the amount of aggravation somebody has to subject themselves to to because of an elderly parent. And for example, it could severely disrupt their ability to work. I mean, somebody has to go out, the parents at home, the parents who they love, or it doesn't really matter if they do, but if they love it, needs attention, it can affect your ability to work. Is it possible that most mitzvahs in the Torah, the shear is up to chamesh menachasav, by a mitzvah say. Did you find any of the Paiskim discuss that by kibbutz aim, if it rises to the level where it's more than a fifth of what you own, that's, in other words, that would be the value of what you're giving up. At that point, you could say, look, I, I, there's no chi of the Mekayim, the Mitzvah. Did you find anything like that? I don't recall coming across that specific point. You're raising a very good point. I did come across there's a difference between having to spend out of pocket and having to suffer a loss. For example, uh, if a parent has their own money, a child would not be obligated to use his own money to buy groceries for his parents and things like that if the parent has money in the bank. There's no reason why the child has to go spending his own money. On the other hand, if the child is going to lose some money by, because his parent needs him to take him to a doctor's appointment, then it's possible that the child is obligated to suffer that loss and take the parent to the appointment. So this whole issue of, of financial loss is a very, very broad question. And it's, uh, but again, uh, as far as your specific question, I'm really not sure. It's a good question. Now, you also mentioned the din of Batum and Malachtai is, uh, I believe, a machaber in, in Reish Mems of Katan Hay. says you would have to be Batum and Malachtai because Meniyah Sarevach would be different, like you say, than actually, you know, money you didn't earn is different than spending money, which is Mishalav. But, but you mentioned another very important point. At a certain point, it becomes, is it the children or the parents? Like an elderly parent could mean, there's never an opportunity to do homework with your children. That means you can't spend one-on-one time with your parent, with your child. Who comes first, the, the young generation or the elderly parent? <laughs> you're, ask, you're asking very tough questions. I'll just tell you a, a, a story, which is documented. There was a Rav Shlomazam and Arbachatzal had a brother who was a Rav, and. The, 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 the wife of Shlomo Zalman's, I think it was his wife, she had elderly parents. When she got married, her, she was a Ben Zakunim. She was born when her parents were like middle-aged. By the time she was married, got married, her parents were elderly, and she was a very good daughter. And she, from the beginning of the marriage, her husband agreed to have her parents live with them which is very unusual. And in fact, there's another story that you might hear another time where Shlomo Zalman Arbach told a Young Chalson specifically not to do that. You don't start up your marriage with your parents living in your house. But they did it. They did it. And it worked for a number of years. And then they had problems with one of their children. He wasn't just, things weren't going right. They took him to different experts, professionals, and a very clear-headed professional told them, you're not giving him enough attention. He needs more attention from his parents. That's the problem. And they felt that this person was right. And with a heavy heart, they put their, I don't know if the mother was still living, but they put, she put her father in the home. And, um, and this situation, the child uh, was much better after that. The parent, the father, passed away about four months later. 
And then the daughter was beset with terrible guilt. That was all her fault. Had she kept the, her, her father in her house, then the whole thing wouldn't have happened. And she couldn't get rid of this guilt. One day, her husband came home and happened to have, you know, this is the, the day, days before Gedolim photos and uh, Jewish from periodicals. So people didn't know how Gedolim, the, the, the face, didn't recognize the faces of many contemporary Gedolim. Her husband came home and showed her a picture of the Chazenish, and she fainted. When they revived her, she said that she had a dream, and her father, flanked by two distinguished-looking men, told her, don't worry, my time to leave the world had come. It had nothing to do with you. You did the right thing. And one of the two people, she recognizes the Chazenish. That's why she fainted. So uh, who comes first? Uh, this, again, this is something that has to be discussed on an individual basis with a rub, with a gutl. That's a fabulous story. My question is only, intuitively we feel that our obligations would be to the child. On the other hand, halachically, it's hard to find an example of where we see, we know, Kibbutz aim is a mitzvah say that's in the Seres Adibris. We don't find caring for the child as a particular mitzvah anywhere in the Torah. So intuitively, we all feel that you, you're correct, but it's hard to make the halachic basis for that. Have you ever seen somebody make the case halachically for the story, you know, for the case you're referring, for the story you're referring to? No. No, as you say, the uh, the chiv towards a parent is, uh, um, but you know, in any mitzvah, in any mitzvah, there's a tour of an einus, a person that's in a situation where he simply can't do the mitzvah. There is that that uh, tour, that uh, leniency. I would, I'm not a pesach, but I would could think that it's quite possible that when a parent feels this is the child that Hashem gave him in this world to raise, that that might come to the category of a benignus. That's a very fascinating svar. Talk about Isaac b'mitzvah, patam and mitzvah. Somebody has an, let's say, talk about a man. He has his, uh, my in-laws actually lived with us for nine years, the last nine years of their lives. Somebody's uh, 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 taking care of an elderly shver or mother-in-law, and it's time to go to shachris or mincha or mairav. Do they continue taking care of their parent? Or do they take, or do they go to Shachros and Chamayros? Well, I, I would think that in a situation where they're living with the children, the the uh, son, if it's a son taking care of his parents, should make an arrangement where he should be able to have someone take over. He, and therefore, he should be able to daven with Minyan. I don't think a person should go into a situation where indefinitely he's going to be davening Yeshidus uh, alone because he has to take care of his parents. But on a daily basis, if a situation comes up where the choice, where the parent needs him, then um, there's no question he should take care of the parent. And at that point, he's parted from from attending minimum. There's no question about it. Yes, yes. Can I tell another story? Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, this is not about a parent, but it's a kabbalchimer. If it applies to an elderly person who is not a parent, the story Rafi Kowalski was a great sadik who lived in the Nebrach. He was very close to the Chazanish. There's a beautiful Hebrew biography about him called Anna Avda. Rav Kowalski, when the year his father passed away, we all know that a son during the year he's navelis the first eleven months he's navelis for his parents. He's supposed to preferably dive him for the Yom and say Kaddish. He did this every single. Never missed a minion. Never missed the Amud except for once. One morning, he went to a, what's called a you know, minion factory, B'nai Brak, Iskowitz it's called, where, uh, and he came to the last minion of the morning, and the Ahmed was free. He walked up to the Ahmed, about to start chakras, and an elderly man from the previous minion who had finished davening calls out, I can't walk home alone, can someone please walk me? 
And Kowalski did not uh, uh, turn around because he figured someone's going to be walking this man home and he just needs the Ahmed. But about five minutes later, the man made the same announcement. No, and the people, people from the previous man had left. And all the people from the Minion wanted the daven. Nobody offered to take the man home. Rav Kowalski walked over to the man and said, I will walk you home. He walked him home, came back to the Minion. They were in the middle of the davening already. He missed the Ahmed. And that morning was the only time a whole year he did not daven for the Ahmed. That night, his father came to him in a dream. His father said to him, I'm Moichel the Ahmed. Just keep doing such mitzvahs. So this is for an elderly man who was not his parent. It's a nice story. I'll show it to you a story I heard from Dr. David Polkowitz. He was called to sit on, uh, uh, to give testimony in front of a Besden in Lakewood about somebody who was uh, a molester, about the damage, etc. And he said, Rabbi Solomon was leading the Besden, and there were a few younger light in the Besden, a few places. And in the middle, one of them uh, says, um, it's time for Mincha. So Rabbi Solomon said, we're in the middle of a Dintaira. This is the mitzvah right now. He said, a half an hour went by, and the guy stood up again. He said, I never missed minyan mincha bismanai. And he said, Rabbi Solomon said, Isaac be mitzvah, patam and a mitzvah, sit down. He said, and the guy sat down, they didn't have mincha, and they finished the, the uh, psak. Mm-hmm. I thought it was fascinating. Now, it's interesting, just as an aside, the story, when he went over to Davin, the argument could be made that he's an Isaac the Mitzvah tefillah at that point, and Pata from the Mitzvah of walking the man home. But that's, a, that's an aside. Um, what about um, somebody has a parent who suffers from dementia? Is the Chiyav of Kibud Av to a parent who is um, totally not aware of his surroundings, etc.? Oh, I'll make the question even stronger, if I may. If a parent has to show him is comatose, is there any fear for the child to visit the parent when the parent is unfortunately unconscious? So this question was asked to Rabbi Sternbuch, and he said, absolutely, the child has to visit at least once in a while. And he, he said the following. He said that, um, first of all, even though we do it mainly for the parent, but we do it for ourselves. The Gemara, we know in Kedushin, compares honoring parents to honoring the Shekhinah. We don't honor Hashem because He needs our honor. We do it because we need to honor Hashem. And similarly, Rav Shemberg said, for our own self-development uh, as, a, as, a, as a Yid, we, have to, we need to honor our parents. And he said, therefore, we honor our parents even when they don't even realize that we're honoring them. He also said that to never come to a parent, even if they're unconscious, they're in a coma, he says it's really a zilzil, it's really a degradation to, of the parent, and that's, that's a terrible thing. We know the Torah says, Chas may curse some people that degrade their parents. And then he said, the truth of the matter is, when people are comatose, we don't know what they know and what they don't know. There's some, I mean, in my book, on Kibbutz Aim, Honor Them, Revere Them, we, uh, on this point of Rishnambach, we tell a couple of uh, stories. One, I heard from Rabbi Marish Shiva, where I teach, Rabbi Yaakov Bender Shlita. There was a man in the five towns who unfortunately was comatose for a while, and Purim came. Rabbi Bender knew that the man's wife and daughter were in the hospital with him. They were not going to shul. So after Rabbi Bender heard the Megillah, he took his own Megillah, drove down to the hospital, and he offered... Uh, to lay in the Megillah for the woman and her daughter, and that they graciously accepted the offer. He laned, and he said that every time he came to Haman's name, this unconscious man tapped with his fingers on the bed. Every single time Haman's name was mentioned. Which showed that though he was officially comatose, he was aware of what was going on. 
So Sternberg said that itself is a big reason why if a parent is considered comatose, the children should visit him. So, but the men should also... Shulchan Aruch does say that he has to do his very best. And he said right. if it reaches a point where he, he can't bear with it anymore, he can at that point ask an aide right. to take over. But you're saying a Chiddush, right. even if they're comatose, which is a, which is right. a bigger Chiddush. Right. If I can just interject for a moment. Yeah. You, made, you just touched on a very, very important halacha. You said that if the parent is uh, get to a point where the child can't deal with it anymore, they have to, uh, then they should get someone else to fill in for them. And this is a very important halacha. There's a famous Gemara, it's in Kedushan, Kedushan in brief and, and in more detail in the Yushalmi. With the Gemaras, it was, uh, the Gemara says a person can feed his parents uh, a delicacy and, and, and be guilty of, not, of transgressing the midst of Kibbutzavayim. So Rashi there brings, right, right. Rashi brings the, the, uh, the Yushalmi where uh, a man served his elderly father of a delicacy and the father said, would you get this food from? And the, and the son responded, what do you care? Just chew it and eat. And uh, so... That's the example. So I believe Ruben Feinstein asked, what's the pshat in the story? The man went through the trouble of preparing a delicious dish for his father. Why did he respond that way? So I believe it was Ruben who said, the pshat must be that really this son felt he can't afford this delicacy for his father. But he had guilt feelings. Other people do it. It's expected of you. So he did it. But he did it with a certain resentment. And that resentment came out when his father asked the question. And the, the lesson is that Kibbutz Avayim is a tremendous mitzvah. That the Shulchan Aruch says over here, when it reaches a point that you can't handle it, you have to know how to deal with it. Excellent. What about hiring an aide for parents? Does this, um, does this absolve the child? Or is it, you know, the aide is there, but it does not, um, it does not absolve you from any of your obligations? It, well, it absolves the child to the point that he doesn't have to be with the parent all the time. That's what the aid is there for. But as we said before from Rav Sternbuch, the child should continue to visit his parents and his parents. And also, Rav Shmuel Kamenevsky made a very important point. Someone asked Rav Shmuel if he has his, his father suffer from Parkinson's and his father had a full-time aide and his father was not capable of eating, feeding himself. He needed to be fed. And the son wanted to know is there any reason why he should feed his father instead of the egg when he comes to visit his father? Rabbi Shmuel said, absolutely. And he explained. He said, the Chazal, we know there's an ending of mitzvah, that it's greater to do a mitzvah yourself than to do it through an agent for a shliach. He said, but keep it of the aim, it's much more than that. Because when the child is being the parent, the parent, if it's done correctly, and usually it is done correctly, the parent feels the love. It's not just the child going through the motions. The child, the parent feels the love, and it, it's very meaningful to the parent, as opposed to just an aide, a hired aide, giving him the food. So Shmuel said that's a very important reason why, even if an aide is hired, the child should try to find opportunities to directly take care of his parents. How do we, Rabbi Finkelman, how do we prevent, how do we prevent elderly people from feeling irrelevant and unneeded um, insignificant. Give us some advice. Uh, I can only tell you what I've read and heard from others. I uh, listened to a shift from Bissacher French Lita on this on the topic of Kibbutz Avayim, and he said he made two very important points. He said, first of all, no matter how old the parent is, make them feel needed. How do you do that? Share your accomplishments with them. Share nachas with them. Discuss things with them 
even if you, you know, try to get their input on something. What do you think we should do about this? What do you think we should do about that? Make them feel relevant. It's very important to a parent, very important. He also said, uh, he illustrated with a story, he said, don't, people, Rabbi Yaakov, once Rabbi Yaakov say, a person, even though we know that a person does not live forever, we don't like to think about the end. We like to think about tomorrow is going to be another day. I'm going to live tomorrow. I'll live the next day. Yaakov himself, at the CMS Shas, I believe in 1982, he was in the Shas, and he said, the next CMS Shas, I'll be almost 100, I hope I'll be there to finish it again. He wasn't, but he lived with that hope. And that's, and Rabbi Fran said, every parent should be allowed that hope. And he told a story to illustrate what not to do. A, an elderly mother, she was 96 years old, and she mentioned to her daughter that she just uh, signed up for a subscription to a magazine, a three-year subscription which means till age 99. And the daughter said, what did you do it for? Do it one year at a time. We've been doing it for three years. And friend said, that's a terrible mistake. The mother wanted to feel that she would live, live at least another three years. And why should the child deprive the mother of that hope? So that's another way to, uh, uh, to help uh, healthy parents feel that life is worth living for. Shlemy Gross, all of us show him a great uh, Askin who lived in Flatbush. When his father was elderly and unable to really work, Shlaimi, uh put a desk into an office in one of his, the building where and one of the things he was a, uh, some sort of a storehouse that he owned. And he gave his father a desk there and asked him to take care of a few things, which really he didn't need him for. But again, he wanted to make him feel that he was needed, he was accomplishing, and it was a very great thing that he did. Well, Rabbi Finkelman, thank you very much for your time. And what is the name of your Sefer on Kibbutzim? Honor them, revere them. It's a honor, lesson a day on Keep It Up, Aim. Lesson a day, honor and revere, published by Art. No, honor, honor them, revere them, yeah. Honor them. Thank you very much, Brother Finkelman. You're very welcome. Thank you. Oh, Bye-bye. Joining us from Milwaukee is Rebetzin Fagi Tversky. She's the author of five books. She's a machaneches, a lecturer, a mother, a, a grandmother, a great-grandmother, a weekly columnist in Army Magazine. Welcome, Rebetzin Tversky. Thank you very much. So, Rebetzin, as a long-time advisor to people, and somebody who's written articles about this, would you advise people to bring in your parents or your in-laws into the home, or would you suggest, no, get them AIDS or, alternatively, send them to a nursing home, given the impact that it could have on a, ha- on a home, on its children, especially if they're very needy and they need a lot of care? What would you suggest? It's a very good question, and I think that, um, each case has to be evaluated on its own merit. I don't think that one size fits all. So, you know, in the situations where both parents are out of the house, they both work, and there's nobody for um, for the uh, grandparents uh, to the parents to interact with all day, they'll be left all alone, then probably an alternative plan should be sought. But in the situation, or or maybe an aid during the day, maybe would work. But each case is has to be, um, you know, decided uh, in its own merit. I don't think that you know it, it has to do with the parents and you know their ability to to handle things. It is a wonderful thing to be able to take parents into the home, and it always used to be that way. Parents, you know, 
um, the parents were a great asset uh, to the family, the um, children, grandchildren, everybody uh, benefited from having uh, parents around, their wisdom, their, you know, uh, you know their life, uh, life experiences, and that's how it always used to be in, in, in the olden days. You know, it used to be, um, they were precious to us, a precious asset. Today, of course, uh, life has changed, and... Um, you know, it has to be determined. Ideally, it's a wonderful thing to be able to take parents at home. My own parents actually say both of the yotzad this month. Um, my sister had this course of taking my mother in for three years before she passed away. And um, I, it's the one thing I never, I'm not, Berchus, I'm not given to envying anybody, but it's the one thing that I did envy is that she had the privilege of having my mother there. Now, you know, was it easy? Not, you know, not always. And uh, it's not easy when you do that because um, as we age, oftentimes we we become more difficult. You know, we, uh, we feel um, you know that we're we're losing um, control of our lives mentally, physically, emotionally. Um, it's uh, it's not easy to age, and um, so with that comes all all of the of the challenges of um, children have um, faced with um, with parents who are feeling extremely vulnerable and um, and have uh, and sometimes act out because they they begin to feel irrelevant, and it's a big job to to make parents in this state feel still feel relevant that they still have something to offer and all of these things um, you know present uh, present challenges you know my my brother in law dr Tversky, had responded to a question once he was asked um there, um, these young people said that they have their father in the house, and and he's very depressed. And um, and they they always tell him, Papa, Papa, look what you accomplished in your life. You did. You wrote for him. You know, and they had a whole long list of his accomplishments. And after they were all done telling him all that. It didn't make any difference to him. He said, "Yeah, that was that was in the past. I once was something, but now I have nothing. I have nothing to offer." And at his point, when he responded, he said, "Look, you know, when you tell a person how much they accomplished in the past, it it really doesn't do it to them. They want to know that they still have something to offer right now." And uh, and that's that's the way we all are. We need to know that we're relevant right now. The biggest challenge is to make parents feel relevant. How do you do that? It, uh, it's really a good question. I think that, you know, um, taking advantage of the courses they have right now, you know, my grandchildren, our grandchildren, uh, come and, and they are, uh, my husband, first of all, they uh, they want to learn with him, and uh, they uh, relish every moment that he gives them. And then they they are still there, so amazed by some of the. He, uh, my husband is very very careful with his time. So when he's learning, and he has to take a break for whatever reason, if a phone call comes in, or if he's speaking to somebody, he has to take even two minutes to talk to that person. He has a little notebook where he jots down at what time he stopped learning. 
and and then when he starts up again, he writes down when he started because he has a certain amount of time every single day that he he has a seder that come no matter what happens. I mean, if Mashiach came, he'd have to wait for him to finish his seder for the day, and he keeps track of every moment. And our grandchildren are are so amazed by that. Many of them have tried to do that, and. Um, you know, and so he still does that, and and they benefit from him, and and, and they, and they let him know that it's it means so much to them right now. Not that he did it in the past, but that he does it, that he's doing it now. And then you know, if you have my my mother, you know, just come whether it's helping, letting them help bake chalas, or or asking them you know, about their past and and about, um, you know, what they went through and, and, um, and the wisdom and saying, Ma, you know what you taught me and what I still live with. And I mean, just uh, whatever would, would make, I mean, person, we're not, we're all pretty much the same. Human beings are very much the same. Whatever would make me feel good, I can assume will make another person feel good. And especially somebody who's in a, a vulnerable state. I know that there's a story in, in the in the Gemara about a um, uh, somebody who uh, they compare two people. One person, you probably Rabbi Lichtenstein will know better than I do. But, you know to quote this, but uh, one a person uh, fed his father pheasant on the glass, you know, like some delicacy, and um, and at the same time he. He he was pretty rude to his father. Another person put his father to work in the mill and to do really hard work, and uh, be, because right. the father was working and he didn't this way he wasn't conscripted into the army and the father and the son went there. Let's say that. The father, father brings it. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so the father this way he saved the father. The father Taki he subjected him to very hard work. And at the surface, if you looked at both people, then the one that subjected his father to hard work, he would say, "Oh, that's an awful thing." And the other one who was giving his father some delicacy, he'd say, "Oh, that's that's a, that's a good son." But in fact, I think the conclusion of uh, of the uh, it is a Gemara also. The conclusion of the Gemara is that uh, the one that made his father work hard was really doing the right the thing. The one that and doing the right thing, he made his father feel good. A fellow comes to the psychologist. He says, "I have," and he says, "I have an inferiority complex." He says, "Why?" He says, "My brother is a uh, works for NASA. My other brother is a brain surgeon." He says, "And what do you do?" He says, "I drive a taxi." So the psychologist said, "I have good news for you. You don't have an inferiority complex. You're talking inferior, right?" So, right. I think that part of the challenge is, is that, you know, post retirement. Or as we get older, people really are less, are less relevant, right? I mean, life has life has passed them on, and we're not we're not imagining this. You know, they they used to have a fam- they used to run a family, they used to be a breadwinner, they used to be a magicier, they used to whatever they did, they're not doing it anymore. So for the most part, they're not productive anymore. They're in retirement, which which is quite destructive in its in its own part. So so making them feel relevant is a little bit like it's an effort because to a certain extent we're trying to manufacture something that for the most part has passed has passed on. So it's 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 quite a challenge to make what has become re- irrelevant to make it relevant again. It's it's not an easy thing that you're suggesting. No, it's definitely not easy, but they do have so much to offer if you stop and think about that. I mean, they have 
all of life's experience. And if you sit down with them and, and you're really interested uh, and you say to them, so what happened? And you went through the war or whatever, um, you know, how, how did you manage? What are the, some of the things? And, and you sit down and you can take a tape recorder or whatever and, and say to them, I'd, I'd like to know your story. You know, tell me about it. And, um, and ask them even advice. You know, they have, they do have so much experience and run things by them. You know, um, my father was when Rocha was alive and we were doing Shadokan with our children. We wouldn't make a move without uh, running it by my father. Part of the house of the day, you know, is this something we should go into? And, and uh, you know, he, he definitely knew that he was very relevant. I mean, in each case, there is something that you can, you know, if, if it's, um, you know, I was so... I was so excited. I was teaching. I had a class once a week on Zoom, so I was uh, teaching and about circus um, uh, and and it talked about the esrig and that the esrig is eight uh, pre and uh, and I saw that there's only one other place where uh, this hodder is used, the hadar tatanezokin. You know that uh, you should um, you should give respect honor yeah. to. Of honor, right? Honor to uh, Zaki. So there's a, uh, there's a correspondence here between the two of them, and they say that the Eswick, the, the reason it's called HP, this beautiful um, uh, fruit, is because it's Hador, Hador, which means that it. it it's, Hador uh, Bilana Mishana Lashana. Right, that's exactly right. So then, um, and so here we have a definition of beauty. That's the definition of beauty is something that endures. And the Hadartha Pnei Zafain is that, you know, the reason that we uh, respect elders is because they have endured. And and and, and this um, commentary says that when you look for an esric, you don't look for a smooth esric. You look at the, a beautiful esric is one that has bumped. You know, somebody who's weathered life, who's gone through a lot in their life, and that's considered beautiful. It's just like that esric is considered beautiful if it has bumps. And uh, a human being that has gone through the bumps in life is considered you know, as the wisdom of the years and the wisdom of experience, that's somebody who who's beautiful. Now, if we think of it, if that's our perspective, and that's the way we think about older people, then they have an awful lot to, to offer. It's not they might they might not be able to go out there and make a lot of money, like the uh, example you gave, not a neurosurgeon or, or whatever. But more importantly, they can tell us about they can tell us about life, what they went through, and how they weathered it. So, Robinson, what happens? So what happens when you have a situation where you have a, an elderly parent move in who's very time-consuming? They're a wonderful, beautiful person, extremely time-consuming. A lot of them can't go to the bathroom by themselves. They can't shower by themselves, etc. And they can't afford an aid. Right? It's expensive. And what happens? Yeah. The kids start becoming neglected. They, they, there's nobody to do homework with them. Um, who comes first, the parent or the child? Kibudav Trump, Kibudav Trump, Now there are well-to-do people who can afford AIDS. There are some people who have, you know, and there are people who they're getting by and they can't, and it all falls down on that mother's thing. And her, she, she has a job, and she has kids coming home, and there's elderly parents, and it basically boils down to, you know, you can only split the pizza pie so many ways, and you know the kid needs an hour or half an hour at homework, and the parent needs to be showered or has to be. Who comes first? Right. It's a it's an excellent question, and it's uh, it's something that's very real. 
it's um, you know it's almost like parents become a burden, and that's really the worst thing for parents to feel is that they are a burden. But Rebecca, uh, even if the, the, I and the, I would I would I would I would just say that many times the. The, the child taking care does not feel that the burden is a, a burden. They feel honored. They feel it's a mitzvah and everything. But it is time-consuming, and there is no time for both. Right. Well, you know, I, I would say in all situations, like when people ask us questions about what to do, um, I th- we always say to them there's one principle you're thinking about, and that is what will you regret the least? When it's all said and done, what will you regret the least? Now, it's true. When you have children, you have to do homework. I think that if parents handle it and they stop to think about it if you can include the children in what you're doing like uh, come help me you know go and take this to bobby or to zaby and do this for bobby let's you know it should become a, a family effort it's not like them or the parents it should be we, we all do this together and um and i think that's very important for parents to realize as difficult as it is tearing yourself apart in a million directions that um ultimately they're, they're really charting a course for their um, for their children in the future. You know, they have a wonderful little anecdote of, of a, a family that's living together. It's um, a grandfather and the parents and, and, and the children, the little children. And uh, they're all sitting at the table and, and, and they're eating dinner and, and they're served on, you know, beautiful dishes. And essentially, uh, the grandfather begins, his hands begin to shake and whatever. And he drops a plate and, and the plate chatters and... That's one the more than one time, and finally the, the mother, the daughter of this, um, decides like, what's the point of having all her china destroyed? So she she buys a wooden dish and she serves a grandpa, a baby, under under you know with a wooden dish. And one day she comes home from she comes home from work and she sees her her little one banking away with his tool set on a piece of wood. And she says, what are you doing, honey, making such a racket? And he says to her, well, I have to get the wooden dish ready for when your hands start to shake and you're going to be like a, like a baby. So in back of our minds, we need to know that we're always in the position of teaching and, and children learn what they see. And when they see how difficult it is and that we do have to tear ourselves apart in so many directions, it's a, it's a major lesson in life that they're taught that life is not easy. It, it really isn't easy. But we do things to, because it's the right thing to do. And, and that's the way you teach. It, uh, you know, children um, learn what they see. You know, preaching doesn't help, only only what they see. So, you know, and so we have to know that what goes around comes around. You know, whatever they see is eventually the way that, you know, that we're going to be treated as well. We're, we're... When you get old, they'll uh-huh. see. <laughs> when you get old, uh-huh. they're going to treat you the way. But let's go back to my case where... Yeah, everybody's everybody's trying, but at the end of the day, you, with all yeah. the best of intentions, you can't bathe and and clothe and take care of your father and and take care of your four little kids' homework. Who comes first? You know, I once had a, a dilemma like that. I had my my daughter was living in Eretz Israel, and she was coming home to have her first baby. She's coming to Milwaukee, and. Um, and she was, of course, frightened little girls that married my children off young. They, she was young. And um, she came home, and my father, Jehovah, called me up, and he said to me that I have to fly out to Florida to tell my, my mother, Jehovah, that her brother had passed away. 
so I said to him, Tati, you know, Yochavet has just came home and to have a baby and she's due any second and she's going to be, she's frightened and I, I have to be here, you know, I need to be here for it. Don't, I have siblings. I said, why can't one of the others go and tell mommy? So he said, no, it has to be you. So I was, and I didn't know what to do. My father's telling me I have to do this. My poor little girl is here waiting to have a baby. So I, I decided that there's only one way to deal with it, that I have to call Bastora. My husband was too close to the situation. I didn't feel that I, he wasn't objective enough, so I didn't want to subject him to answering the question. So I called somebody that I really respect, and a, a Bastora, somebody who not only knows the halacha, but who's a man to understand to Asaykul Ayosha. And I, and I presented the whole situation to him. And he said to me, you have to do what your father wants. You have to go and you have to go. And, and you know, it was it was very, very, very hard. And sure enough, as soon as I got to Florida, my daughter went into labor. And when I, by the time I came right back, but she was ready in recovery. And then she said something like, Mommy, how can you have left me, you know, to deal with this on my own? Anyway, but the, the um, you know, postscript of the whole thing is my father called my, I called Yochavet after, while she was still in, um, in recovering, and he said to Yochavet, I want you to know that because of your miserous nefesh of letting your mother come to do this, it was very necessary. I, um, I'm telling you that this child, you're going to have wonderful children, and this child is going to be more special than any of the other children. And you know what? He is. He is really, really, really special. So it was it was a huge, huge dilemma and left to my own devices, there was there was no good solution. Whatever I would do, like you're saying, you take care if you're taking care of your parents, you're not taking care of your children. You're taking care of your children, you're not taking care of your parents. So you know, they has to me and when you have older children you can enlist their help and they can do some homework with it with the younger children. Maybe you can rearrange the schedule so that um, Bobby can get her bath a little bit earlier or a little bit later. And and you keep talking to the children. You say, you know, I would love to do this for you, honey, but I, I have to take care of Bobby or I have to take care of Sadie. And, and and sometimes when a child really needs the attention, then and then you just say to Bobby or Sadie, young, I'll, I'll be there just as soon as I take care of, of um, Yasala or Blimala. And uh, you, you try to juggle to to the best of your ability. And, 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 and reason, Rebison, the reason why I say this is because I remember um, personally encountering somebody who said they did poorly in school because their, their mother was never had the time to do any work with them because she was so preoccupied. And, with and taking with care of a parent. Yes, she said, I, there's, just, there's yeah. nobody to do homework with me. And the kid just fell far, you know, really far behind. A very bright kid. Um, um, because, yeah. and um, so like, I, I, you know, I'm just saying like in theory, you know, I guess you could yeah. just keep, balance everything. But if you can't, that's really what I struggle with. Who actually comes first? Because halachically, yeah. it would seem kabbalah savicha doesn't say you know, take care of your kids' homework. But it, it, you know, right. intuitively, that doesn't seem to feel right. You know what I mean? To abandon the future because of the past. You know? Uh, and no, it's true. Except that there's also a husband here somewhere, hopefully, and the husband can help out with homework as well. Older children can help out, maybe, and um, and and maybe postpone the need of of the parent of Bobby and Zayda for um, you know for a little bit later, not on a, um, a steady basis, but here and there, you know, juggling and balancing things is the most difficult thing in life. There's nothing more difficult than uh, than balancing things, and 
you know, uh, there aren't there are no easy answers that you can say. You know, when you tell. But I I loved your Robinson. I loved your response before. What will you regret least? At the end of the day, what where where is more damage occurring? That's right. And you know, with children, you mentioned this child that was, I know, I'm sure there's more to the story about this very bright child than just the fact that the parents uh, didn't give them enough attention. Because if parents enlist the child's um, help to, you know, Bobby and say, you know, if you help me with this, I'll get done with what Bobby has said to need, and then we can go do homework. If the child becomes part of the plan and, and feels included and, and, uh, and doesn't feel like, uh, you know, the parent as um, chosen a parent, and you know their parent over them. It's a very important thing, honey. You know, you know, I want to do this. So you know how much I love you, but you know, Bobby and say they can't do this by themselves. Right. So, so we need to both figure out how how to do this. Like, I mean, if, the, if a parent is smart and doesn't project and 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 doesn't really communicate. How how terribly frustrated they are, and how terribly difficult it is. I think that we all have to sit down with ourselves and, and give ourselves talking to everyone. Take a do a husband and nefesh, and and say, you know, if, if am I still exuding some kind of simchas achayim, not just frustration over being in this place where there's nothing I can do right, that somebody always loses, and that kind of attitude is communicated in in the home. But I think if it says, you know, come on children, you know, you know a little upbeat kind of attitude, I think goes uh, goes a long way. The very wise Rebbiton, Peggy Tversky from Milwaukee. Rebbiton, thank you very much for your time. Joining us from Passaic, New Jersey, is Yossi Klein, Joe Klein. He's an attorney whose expertise is elder law and trust in estates. He's a Talmud of Torah Tamim, a Torah Meisher, a Meisher Meiselman, the Boston Rebbe, Pinchas Harowitz, Rav Shmuel Berkowitz, Welcome, Yassi. Hi, how are you? So, you're an expert in elder law, and I understand that when you have a Shaila halachically that conflicts with elder law, could represent a conflict, you do go to, you know, the Rabbanim, the, you know, who, who know these Shailas well. I could yeah. confirm that, is that correct? Yeah. So, share with us, what are some of the topics elderly people should be concerned about when it comes to estate planning? Okay, so uh, generally there are five, I would say five general categories. Number one is succession planning, which is setting up secular documents, setting up halachic documents, and setting up a plan. So after 120, you don't leave a mess, you don't leave a machaikis, everything is organized. Now, I guess people have to take a step back and think, you know, Chathar Shalom passed away unexpectedly, what would happen? You know, some people have more simple lives, but some people own businesses, they own real estate, um, they have complicated families, complicated assets, and it's really important to, to work it out. So one part is working it out. Let's say you know one spouse passes away, the other spouse is alive. So who will manage it? Is the spouse capable of managing it? Um, issues like that. Um, number two, if Chassidim husband and wife both pass away, uh, you know uh, how are assets divided? Is it equally? Is it not equally? Um, and even if it's divided in certain ways, who's going to manage assets? If somebody has uh, sizable assets, it's very important to be managed correctly by the right people. And again, the number one goal is to avoid machlaikas. And well, so talking, written out, talking yeah. about avoiding machlaikas, halachically, a boss is not Yairish. 
Uh, a bechayir is yerush pishnayim. In 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 that is you know how how is that done in the olam hamaisa? How do how do we how do, how is that dealt with? Okay, so the halachic documents uh, are pretty standard across the board with all types of uh, from uh, yidden. The basic document is having a halachic document that says that that the assets going to the family should not be a yerusha, but should be a considered a matana one hour before death. That is very basic standard, and it works. There's also another part of that document that says if any of my sons contest my division, then an hour before death, I'm creating a debt to my other family members for $100 million, a very large number. So if a son contests it, then he'll end up with zero because the entire estate will be owed to the other family members. Um, so that is the basic halachic way to get around the uh, the Hilkas Yerusha, as you just mentioned. But but uh, I have a question are, for you, Yes, yeah. just as a yeshiva bacha. We say get around. I mean, should we be getting around? Like when the Torah said these halachas, I mean, th- there's a lot of get arounds that we could do. There's a lot of get arounds. We don't. Do we want to get around it? Like, what is what is the what is you know the great volume of, of halacha and God that written in the last two thousand years speak about getting around it? Okay, so there are a lot of people that hold, not everybody, but a lot of people that even if you utilize halachic strategies to be allowed to give assets the way you want to. Uh, you should still set aside a certain amount to give in accordance with the original halacha. So I know I've heard from Rukhaim Cohen in Brooklyn, Rabbi Marbrick in Lakewood, that a minimum amount that you should give in accordance with halacha is $10,000. That's a minimum amount. Again, I'm just uh, saying so generally... I'm, so I'm, yes, I'm asking you a question. I'm asking yeah. you about Yassi from Tyrus Moshe. Okay. The Tyrus says Abbas should not be Moshe. Yairish, and a task not my but Yairish, and the, the Tyrus says a, a Bukhari could get Pishnayim. If somebody leaves a, you know, a decent amount of money, not, not $20,000, so, you know, there's a lot of people who sell Hamid's Gomer. You know, most people don't sell Hamid's Gomer. I'm, I'm, I'm not looking for Kukulis. Like, why don't we see this as the same? I'm not looking for coolness. Yeah, we could figure out to do it like this. We could do it like that. We could, you know, a person could say, "Look, there's Allah, kesef talva, there's a chiyav halva." You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make a trick. All my money is really owed not by me, but by somebody else. If somebody asks me for halva, I'm not over in kesef talva because it's not my money. I'm asking you just a, a basic. What a yeshiva bach would ask you? Why are we looking to get around it? And, and, and was, yeah, we figured ten thousand dollars. We could do kanunya. Why are we? Why? Why are we here? Interestingly, walking to get around what the Tyree suggested. Okay, so I could tell you what I've heard. You know, I'm not going to quote myself, but what I've heard is that number one, certain times um, have changed, and there used to be certain ways where daughters and wives were taken care of and financially, and maybe those ways aren't exactly the same now as they were then. And and people argue that if, if Tyra allowed you to utilize certain ways around it, um, then it's there. You know, I'm not going to compare it to an Eros or or, or uh, you know other things like that. But it's it's you know even though you might be correct, sometimes the the 
inequity of doing it that way where you leave it all to the sons and you don't give the daughters anything or you give them very little and the daughters are desperate for money and the sons have more than they need, you have to balance in treating everybody correctly with what you said of of not trying to get around certain halachas, even though halacha provides you with ways to to do that. So, so this is really a question for uh, a dayan. Yeah, I, I'm not a dayan, but I'm just telling you generally what what I've heard. And um, and most dayanim I've spoke to, I mean, actually almost everybody, you know, has said that it makes sense to to uh, not to leave out the girl. So if they're all saying that, I'm assuming well, they have a good reason uh, for that. Nor am I suggesting that either. I'm just asking that, you know, does, does Tariag Mitzvah, a, a smart group of guys, can sit around the table and figure out how to get out of 500 of them? But we don't, you know, it was just recently somebody asked me for a shayla about fasting. I named Kippa. So I said, look, you know, you can be, there's a cool over here. And the guy looked at me and said, Chzuchlish can cool us. So it's interesting. Okay, so, sometimes, so regardless, I know you're an attorney, but I, I just thought as a yeshiva bach, I would ask you, it's interesting no. that over here we're all looking for coolest, and I'm curious why, and what, what was well, the inti- oh, Where did the Tyra's intent go wrong? That's all. So I'll tell you, because there is a, a strong public reason to give the door this, uh, money as well. We are trying to get around fasting and kipper and other things. There's really no real benefit to it and I guess in this particular situation leaving things equally or you know trying to avoid malchikas that way the the public policy reason is so p- powerful that Dayanam are are more okay, okay. with so talk to us. let's go back to your expertise so you're okay. saying that for um go back I'm sorry I interrupted your 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 your, your point no that's fine so some planning is very important. You know, a lot of people, I'm just giving some examples, people have a business with two children working there, other kids not working there, um, that's children on the payroll who have never showed up. You know, all this has to be worked out. Parents don't live forever, and, 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 and you know, creating a plan of what happens afterwards is important. Number two, I just want to jump to... Can I just can I just yeah. get on to something you're saying? I mean, I'm, I say this to somebody who's maybe a little bit older than most of the listeners. That when parents are negligent and don't do what you're suggesting, which is to put into place a very thought out, careful, and respectful will or succession planning, it can turn into such machlekes. It, it destroys families, and I'm sure you've seen this. Yes, yeah, we deal with this all day. So we try to avoid it. Yes, I agree. So it's so it's really an obligation on their parents if they want to see their legacy continue to have succession plannings secularly in halachic boundaries. Correct. Talk about Correct. powers of attorney, healthcare proxies, etc. Okay, so if somebody is chassidshalom incapacitated or just a hundred years old and not able to get to the bank, uh, it is important to have documents. So agents can handle your financial affairs. Power of attorney is an agent can handle your financial matters. Healthcare proxy agents can make healthcare decisions. Now this is extremely important um, because you know I'm sure everybody knows somebody who became incompetent at a certain time in their life, and it's the same issue: managing managing assets, managing real estate, managing businesses. 
if this document is not in place, the next morning, you know, uh, after somebody becomes incompetent, something happens to them, there's nobody to pay the payroll. <laughs> you know, there's nobody, uh, you know, to take care of business. Um, there's nobody to pay the bills. There is a way around it of a guardianship proceeding, which is very expensive and it takes a very long time, and also it can generate machlaikas. So it's smart to name. So on a power of attorney, a child or two or three, or a spouse who can handle the financial affairs so you don't have all 10 children, all 15 children getting all involved and, and managing things together. It's the same thing of, of having people you trust, people competent, knowledgeable, to handle those affairs for you. The healthcare proxy is who makes healthcare decisions. Well, let me ask now, you a question just about yeah. power of attorney because this happened to somebody in my family that a, uh, somebody in my family had a, a number of children and um, one of the children got a power of attorney and s- turned around and wrote over everything to themselves. And it would have been too expensive to contest in court and basically this kind of went ahead and he ended up with Anyway, all the uh, the entire estate of the uh, of the parents. How would a power of attorney? How do you avoid uh, a case like that? Okay, so first of all, every power of attorney we create says that if a child takes a dollar for himself, he has to give an equal dollar to his siblings. In other words, if he steals a dollar, he has to give an equal dollar to his siblings. We also say that he has to follow uh, his parents' estate plan. So it's it's you know. Somebody in that story, somebody messed up by allowing a child to take money without being legally obligated to return it. Now, you might say, well, even if he is legally obligated to return it, nobody wants to sue their their brother, their sister. Um, however, at least the document should should say that if the child steals money he, from his siblings, he you know he could he has to return it. You know, he has he's He's, ob- he's obligated to return it under secular law, under halacha. So at a minimum, the power of attorney should say that. Okay. Talk about health care proxies. Health care proxy is who makes health care decisions. Now, some things are easy, uh, you know, getting medical records, uh, moving somebody from NYU to Columbia. But the, important, the more important part is end-of-life issues um, and under New York law, New Jersey law, you can only have one agent at a time. You can't have multiple people being your co-agent on a, on a healthcare proxy. So you choose one person that halakhically is on the same page as you. You know, not, not uh, you know, too modern, not too, too uh, in a different direction, just that you trust that halakhically they'll ask an appropriate rub, they'll do the right thing, and they'll they have good judgment, they're smart, and they'll do what you want them to do. The Agoda has a halakhic living will, which is a, um, a healthcare proxy plus. So that document says you appoint your son uh, Ruvain, let's say, but but he can't do whatever he wants. Um, whatever he does has to be approved by a certain rub so, or a diet. So if somebody doesn't have a child that he trusts 100% that he'll ask the appropriate rav, or if he's worried his children each might call their own rav and ask, you know, and ask the child and, and to be all family machlaikas, if the parent names a certain rav in the document who the agent has to speak to, it might help. Now, practically, the odds of that rav being available 4 o'clock in the morning, you know, when somebody has a, a 
if your health problem is not so probable, but uh, the Agudis form does exist. Now, if somebody does not have a health care proxy, well, first of all, a spouse automatically can make decisions. But that's something Governor Patterson uh, put into place in New York, and it's in place in New Jersey, so the spouse can make decisions. But if there is no spouse, technically, all the children together need to get together and make decisions together, which obviously is impossible, you know, to have, to have everybody agree, uh, you know, on one thing. Now, practically, for some reason, hospitals don't always follow healthcare proxies. Whoever happens to be standing there when a you know, hospital and big issue happens, they usually just talk to that person, what should we do? But that's really wrong. They really should follow and get the approval and permission from the agent under the healthcare proxy. So, again, if you want to avoid machlaikas regarding end-of-life issues, you name an agent. Now, uh, it, it's better if the agent lives locally, an agent that's able to show up when you need the person, not somebody that lives out of town in another country. Um, and and, uh, and this, know, this part too, the side issues such as whether to put on a ventilator, whether to put on, a, you know, uh, any uh, all the different machines, or whether the person allow the person to die a peaceful death. These are the types of Correct. questions that a that a that a healthcare proxy would would would, would sign for. Correct. Do not resuscitate. DNRs. Do not resuscitate, etc. Yes. The Agoda has a Chaim Aruchim hotline for somebody that doesn't have a rub available. It's available 24/7. And they're excellent. So I've been surprised by what Dayanim allow people to do. You know, I I thought from Jews don't do anything. You know, uh, you know, um, stop anybody from living. However, um, there are certain big a big difference Dayanim of opinion between Ramosha Feinstein and and Rabbi Yashiv. They were literally the two ends of the world. Ramosha believed that the, the persons in uh, in physical pain or certainly. Ruben David Feinstein said on our program, even if they're in emotional pain, you don't have to. And and Rabbi Yashif felt that you keep somebody alive no matter what, no matter who, no matter how much pain. Every minute is a mitzvah. I mean, they were diametrically opposed, but that goes way beyond the uh, this conversation. What about how do we so, avoid probate court after death? Well, that's so. New York probate, New Jersey probate is really not such a big deal if somebody has family members, has children, uh, you know, has a spouse. But if somebody has no children, uh, it could take months and months to get through the court system, uh, many months, until the assets get to the family members. So there are uh, people could set up trust, and, uh, you know, I don't want to get into too much detail, but um, you could put assets uh, into a trust instead of leaving your assets through a will, and that will have the assets go directly to the family members after 120, instead of the need to go through the court system. Um, there are other benefits, too. If somebody owns assets in Florida, has has a condo in Florida, condo in Lakewood near their children, and a, a house in Muncie, uh, uh, you know, they'll need three probate attorneys. So, it's, so somebody like that might want to avoid probate. Also, if somebody has a lot of creditors, you know, that, um, that's also a benefit of... Uh, avoiding probate. So that is um, one thing that people should ask their attorney, ask their accountant or advisor if it's something that they need. Now, see, in your, in your experience, what percentage of people have careful um, succession planning, you know, power of attorney, health care, probate planning, long-term care planning, estate tax planning, and to how many people is it just a mess? They didn't think about it. They never thought they would die. Okay. So... Obviously, my office is 
deals with people who are doing work. You know, we have 10 attorneys. We're pumping out work all day. But I'm sure if you add up the the people hiring attorneys to do uh, this type of work, whether it's my office or other offices, and you take that number and use it as a fraction of the population of the United States, <laughs> it's probably tiny. So, Mr. So, in your experience, what percentage of families do this right and what percent of families just doesn't even enter their minds? Okay, so if you're talking about the firm world, I would say most people in the firm world work things out in advance. Uh, there's a lot of educated people, a lot of smart people, uh, and there's enough education about this out there that I would say maybe two-thirds to one-third. Two-thirds of people work it out. One-third of people just um, just never want to deal with it or, or their issues are so complicated it's very hard for them to deal with. There is a certain percentage of people that pass away unexpectedly, you know, especially during this COVID uh episode. Uh, you know, there are a lot of people who passed away with no plan. Uh, so it's definitely in the firm area, there's more people that do it, but also if the parents did it, it reminds them to do it. But, uh, but there are a lot, a lot of people who do not do it. And it's very unfortunate to see, you know, machlaikis, which could have been so easily avoided. This happens in all places, even like partners who have a business with with no partnership agreement. You know, just have a document, have something in place. So think of what could go wrong and just plan in advance and just have it spelled out. So, so by the way, when you spoke about succession planning, I mean, it's basically talking about a will, isn't it? That's what we started it's, off with. It's, it's a will, either having a will or setting up trust. And an example of that is, like, in our office, we never leave Yerusha to... Uh, human children. Let's say somebody has six kids. We never leave it to the six kids outright. We always leave it to six mini trusts for the benefit of the six children. Why? So Now, why? Because why would a child want to get his share of his Yerusha in a trust? For a couple of reasons. So, number one, you know, if a child doesn't have a lot of money, is on the government programs, which is popular in the firm world, he would not want to be thrown off his programs because he received this, this uh, sizable Yerusha. Number two, if a child at the time... You, uh, can I just ask you, do you think that's ethical? <laughs> um, well, when you say ethical... Is this you just, I'm just going to repeat what you said. He does not want to be thrown off his programs because of his sizable Yerusha. Is that ethical? Well, Well, when a wealthy person takes his assets and puts them in corporations and LLCs to reduce taxes, is that ethical? Well, do you so, see avoidance, not avoidance, do you see taking advantage of the tax law as the same thing as um, using pro government programs, living off charity, basically? So I hear your point. <laughs> I'm not going to comment on that. But, you, know, I, you just work um, here. You, you just work here. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. However, you know, if People, the argument is, is that if the law allows it, then why not take advantage of it? You know, if the law says... Well, you can live on charity, why not live on charity when you could avoid taking your sizable Yerusha and putting it into a trust? If the law says that you can get free milk, you know, uh, for a year and a half, even if you make a million dollars a year, then, <sighs> then 
could you not get the free milk? You know, so that's uh, um, okay. Yeah. So, okay. so you say one reason to do it is so that you can stay on government programs. That would be another right. reason. Number two, if a child has a problem in his life, like let's say he has financial problems or he's in bankruptcy, he's getting sued. If a child gets the Arusha, it's technically exposed to bad people coming after him. And it's not only at the time his parents passed away, but it's also later on in life. So if the, child, if the child's trust gets the Yerusha instead of the child himself, he could leave his Yerusha and his trust and, and, you know, until he dies, and it always has this asset protection bubble around it. Okay. So also if a child, you know, has a marriage problem, he'll have it protected, he'll have his Yerusha protected in the trust. So the trust is a way to protect assets. Right. Also, if a child's wealthy and he's worried about his own estate taxes, so if he has it in trust, it, it uh, typically won't be subject to estate taxes. And actually, the most common benefit is we have a lot of parents die when they're very elderly, and the children are, let's say, in their low 70s or high 60s. And the children are worried about long-term care. You know, I didn't mention that yet, but that's one of the concerns, long-term care planning. So, so if a child, Yerusha, goes to a trust, then technically the child could qualify to have Medicaid pay for a nursing home, pay for home care, and without having that, you know, those assets exposed, that will have to pay that down. So that is the benefit to having a, you know, there are multiple benefits. Now, most people don't have problems in their lives. Most people are not on, uh, on programs. So a lot of people don't need the trust. You don't need it, don't use it. But, but we, as a default, have it go to each child uh, in you know the form of a trust, so that is part of the succession planning to have to create asset protection for the children as part of the of the will or part of the trust. Yeah, see, this is obviously you just scratched the surface, but it was most educating. We thank you very much for your time. No problem. Have a good night. Good night. Bye bye.